You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson, and with us again from Pro Football Focus, it's Mike Renner. Mike, what's up, man? Hey, fellas. Great to be back. How you guys doing? Great, man. Not as good as you. Where are you at, you said? Orlando? I'm in Orlando. It is gorgeous out right now. It's about to get a little too hot, actually. I might have to go inside. Yeah, Mike, uh, for those listening and not watching on YouTube, Mike sitting outside at a coffee shop just casually podcasting with us uh, is, is Logan. Logan's also in his daughter's room. I'm the only one who's in my usual yeah. podcast uh, space, optimized for podcasting, but that's that's fine. Uh, so here's here's what we got today. Uh, Mike has put out a ton of stuff recently, three-round mock on Pro Football Focus. Also, Logan, I know you were – like the mock drafts are cool, but – Really, prospect rankings is where I know your head's at these days. Yeah. Uh, Mike hit his top 150 the other day. So I say we just dive right in. Uh, let's start with the 150. And Logan, where do you want to take this first? What do you think is the most interesting thing after looking at Mike's rankings? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things. I think the thing that stuck out to me was kind of the sequencing of players. You know, um, you had uh, De- Deontay Banks above Joy Porter Jr. You had um, Anton Harrison above kind of. Uh, you know, everyone's kind of third tackle, Broderick Jones. And I thought maybe, you know, for Washington fans who are kind of dialed into those players specifically, could you talk a little bit about why you chose to do that? And then what were the distinguishing factors? They're not far apart, but, you know, there's obviously a distinction. Deontay Banks, to me, is one more versatile. Uh, I think you saw that at Maryland. Like, it's almost hard to get a feel for him on tape because they ran so many different coverages. You know, whereas Joey Porter... You can see him just sticking at the line with receivers, enveloping them in press, and then that's you know his bread and butter. And they let him play to those strengths. Whereas with Banks, uh, you really have to watch him a little more to see the nuance to his game. And I just see a high, high end, like the best at the cornerback position in this draft class, even more so than like Christian Gonzalez, in my opinion, just in terms of pure explosiveness and movement skills and agility and like the traits you want to see from a cornerback. Now Gonzalez is a little maybe smoother and has a little bit better tape in terms of consistency, but Banks, that is a great starting point, you know, for a cornerback. Whereas Joey Porter is more of a, just by corner standards, probably an average athlete by NFL starters in the league. And so I'm going to lean towards that guy. I'm going to lean towards those traits and what those can be. And just, again, the versatility aspect, because, you know, Joey Porter is great in press. I think he's lights out. You're getting a good press corner, but that's such a limited skill set in today's NFL that so few teams are doing that you know he's probably going to go to a team that wants to do that but so few teams are doing that so many teams are moving their corners off making them read quarterbacks you know trying to put caps on these offenses so i just think banks is a little bit better in that regard and then for anton harrison uh, i think he's kind of 
the the guy who's been forgotten about in this tackle class. To, yeah. to me, he has better feet and better hand usage right now than Paris Johnson, than Broderick Jones. It's just Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones are like these monsters physically. Like Anton Harrison's not that. I don't think he's, you know, has is below like NFL play strength or thresholds in that regard or explosive thresholds, but he's just not a high, high end athlete. But on the football field, the, the guy is skilled and obviously he started for three years compared to one, one and a half years at tackle for those other two guys I mentioned. So, uh, you know, if I want pass protection right away, I think he's one of the better options in this draft class. It's probably Peter Skaronsky and then him in terms of guys I would right. trust year one in pass pro. So, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's something people sleep on with Harrison. It's just he's so he's so skilled. He understands the line. He understands the anchor. And those are qualities that other players don't necessarily have, you know, outs- in terms of guys that can play left tackle. And you mentioned uh, Darnell Wright. Uh, or you talked about Darnell Wright in your three-round mock. He's an outstanding football player. He's also got a good feel for pass protection. In your mock, he's the first guy to go off the board. Um, I know a lot of people in Washington are excited about him here. Can you kind of elaborate as to why you felt that way? And um, what do you see on his film? Do you think he can play left tackle or is he only a right guy? So I think he could, but I don't know why you would want to. I think he's, I think he did start one year at left tackle for Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. I think it, it was wasn't great, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. And then they flipped him back to right. And, and so, you know, when that's the case, usually, I, I'm of the opinion that you, you keep a guy, you try to keep a guy in the same spot because, you know, reps matter so much. And basically, like, it's not like shooting a basketball left-handed. But it's, you know, like finishing at the rim with your opposite hand. It just feels weird uh, for a tackle, and it could be a massive learning curve for a guy. So when he's already done it, you know, multi-year starter, and his best play was that right tackle, I think you just keep him there. Why I had him the first tackle off the board is more fit, I think, to Chicago. Mm. If you're a run-heavier team, Darnell Wright offers a lot in a, you know, duo scheme, a scheme that's really going to hit guys right at the line of scrimmage and try to generate movement because – He's probably the best, the most explosive. You know, he's 330. He's probably got 10, 15 pounds on every other tackle in this draft class, and he's you know just as explosive. So he can really move the line of scrimmage and really anchor in pass pro. And to Chicago, when you have a mobile quarterback, you get bull rushed, and you're you're working the running game is far more valuable. And he's not going to get bull rushed too much, and he's obviously going to be a force in the run game. So that's why I had him going there. So a lot of Commanders fans, and I would say myself included here, are in the group of people who are confused at this point about position flex. Because it is obviously a good thing in that you want guys who can fill multiple spots. But I think the Commanders have gone so heavy on position flex guys that it doesn't feel like they have anybody who can actually play one position well. It's like, oh, cool, they're mediocre everywhere. Yay. Who Who are the guys that you feel really solid about, okay, day one starter at a single position on the offensive line. Like if, if you're watching at 16, like who do you want available out of this top group? Obviously Skaronsky, it seems very unlikely he will be there. Um, but even he's got some flex, but like, okay, that guy's definitely either a great guard or an excellent tackle day one. Mm-hmm. So you're asking which guys would I plug into one spot along the offensive line? Or So maybe like, let's refine that question a little bit. Like, Everyone thinks Darnell Wright is going at 16 would probably be too high because he only plays right tackle. But there is yeah. value there for guys that are really good at doing one thing. Mm-hmm. Do you knock guys for that? I don't think I do. No, I, I, I think that's more of an interior offensive line trait, in my opinion, versatility. Because 
there's I a mean, reason all these tackles are trying to go are probably going to go high in the drafts because everyone needs them there's just not 64 quality offensive tackles to go around whereas you know a lot of tackles can kick inside and play guard we saw that with laramie tunsil it's like no one would call laramie tunsil a guard based on his skill set but he goes to miami and plays guard fine because not to say it's easier but it's it's just you're dealing with less space it's not necessarily uh you're not getting challenged and your your loss your chances of bad bad losses on the interior costing you is not the way it is on the edge where having to manipulate space is very difficult so uh, I do think the guys who are tackle only, you're not knocking a guy for that whatsoever. So is is 16 too high for a guy like Darnell Wright or another guy that's only a right tackle is Dewan Jones. I heard Chris Collinsworth recently say he thought he left. Like, you know, like is like you know what I'm saying? Is is that too high for that kind of player? I don't think so, um, because from a pure value perspective. Uh, right tackle is as valuable as left tackle. You know, you're you're truthfully mm-hmm. seeing the better rushers at right tackle more often than not. You know, teams know that right tackles around the league are usually lesser than the left tackles. So you're seeing the better rushers. You are the pressure that you, you know, left tackles leads to sacks more when you get pressure, but right tackle leads to affecting actual passes more. Uh, we've done those studies. And so like, it's it's kind of like a pick your poison. And at the end of the day, uh, most offenses, they are similar in value. So if you're a right tackle only, but you're darn good at it, well, you're still, in my opinion, as valuable as a left tackle. On the cornerback front, um, we will uh, we will now reveal to the world that you made uh, a whoopsie uh, in, your, in your mock draft. Uh, say, we were talking before the show, and you're like, oh, I did put Joey Porter at 16. Not, not the guy necessarily that I would put there because I've been saying all the draft process, including on this podcast last time you were on, that that's not necessarily the best fit. So how do you go about ranking these corners knowing that, like, okay, for Washington, like Porter's not necessarily a fit, um, even though he's very good at what he does. Banks, you know, could go in the second round. We had him in our mock the other day at 16 in Washington. You just talked about how much you love the guy. So yeah. as you work on something like your rankings and then kind of tr- take that into a mock draft, how do you how do you start layering these corners? Yeah, so I in the mock, I was like, the, the logical guys off the board here are either Devin Witherspoon or, or Joey Porter. Um, and because all the tackles have gone. And I was like, well, Devin Witherspoon's like really a man corner. I, I don't think he's purely a press guy, but he's like really a man skill set. And they just had a man skill set in William Jackson in Washington. And that, that they showed how well that worked out in that defense. And, and so while <laughs> Porter's probably better in a man scheme, he's more just a press corner. And obviously that's still probably not a great fit for Washington. But again, they've made some mistakes in terms of evaluation the quarterback position. So it's not the most unrealistic thing, but I, I do think Deontay Banks is a better fit there if we are debating between the two. I'm surprised that you say Witherspoon is not a great fit. I feel like, so one of the things that I do when I look at corners, as I say, like, how physical are they? How do they tackle? Because I feel like that translates mm-hmm. really well to off coverage because you got to make all these tackles. And one of the things about Porter that I keep kind of, that makes me, because I like him, he's obviously a big freaky dude, but it makes me a little bit nervous is he's not a great tackler. Deontay Banks is a pretty good tackler. Witherspoon's a good tackler. Like, how do you weigh that in the evaluation? Because I, I would think that Witherspoon would translate better to an off-corner just because he's a better tackler. Yeah, he, he very well may. Uh, or definitely an off-corner. Yeah, like, we're talking off-corner. He's a better off-corner than Joey Porter. I, I just wanted him to more of a man scheme because 
He's so darn good at that. And that's like what Illinois did last year. So I, I don't you're just really biased. You're just biased. You're just biased. You're just trying to get him to fit to where you want him to be do well, right? He's your baby at this point. You want him to do well in a man's scheme. I get it. That's what I did. I mean, that is what I did. I want him to go to, I mean, truthfully, to the Houston Texans because I, I think him and Derek Stingley is just like an awesome combo. <laughs> that's like, you, 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 so what, how I do the mock drafts, how some, how the sauce is made is I'm not just picking for everyone. I'm putting a guy where I want some right. guys some fits. I want in the first place and then backfilling all the other ones. And now it's just a fit. I really wanted in this draft. So I was going to give you a lot of props because I thought in your mock draft, you did an excellent job because you got, you know, Joey Porter jr. Who to me is like in the same tier as Deontay banks or Emmanuel Forbes guys that I like a lot. And then at 48, you gave him uh, Matthew Bergeron, who I think is a guy who can play tackle in the NFL. And then you gave him the safety from Illinois. And I was like, man, you know, Mike's just hooking us up, but now I find out it's just some computer algorithm somewhere doing all the work for us. It's not an algorithm. Come on. You, you, the, I gave you the versatile DB down at the end. The, I get, no, I'm saying I love him. I love all the yeah. picks, man. I, like, I was like, man, Mike, like, because he did, he did the Take a Man podcast. He's hooking it up. But apparently it's just like the computer spit it out, you know? Ber- Bertrand was one where I was like that. So I didn't give him tackle round one. I said, you know, the run on tackle is going to go early. That was one where in the second round, I penciled him in there. I'm like, that's one fit. I want to go. I want to make happen because I think it would make a lot of sense for them. I think you can have like a, I mean, that's where they got Sam Cosme. Uh, I think that's a good spot for a tackle like that, where it probably has guard versatility if, uh, if you need him to play that. Yeah. And so that's one thing I want to talk about is like, it seems like the top of the tackle class is pretty dense and kind of dynamic compared to what it's been the last couple of years where there's always been these guys who are like more can play tackle, but are probably guards. You get like, you know, probably six guys that are tackles. But after Matthew Bergeron, it kind of, I don't want to say it falls off a cliff, but that's kind of how it feels, right? So how important is it that they get one of those top guys in this draft? Yeah, that's the problem. And that's why I see him going highly is because the amount of day two tackles I like in this class is like Matthew Bergeron. And then that's it. (laughs) No, I feel the same way. And then, you know, you have Wanya Morris from Oklahoma is probably going to go day two. You have Carter Warren from Pittsburgh are probably going to go day two just because – they have like the body types of tackles, but, but I don't think they are. Not, their film's not bad. Like, uh, like Carter, I think is interesting. He reminds me a little bit of Morgan Moses, kind of like a longer, taller guy who's got some polish, but it's definitely there for him if, if it works out. Yeah, there, there's the, you see like the, whatever it is at tackle that's just like the length movement skills combo, but it's not quite there. So that's how I feel about that that kind of second, I guess I would say second tier, that's like third tier of tackles in this yeah. draft class. It's just like, I don't want that guy starting right away, though, or even maybe starting year two. It's just like a guy you get in the fold to hopefully year three, he becomes something. Logan, if they take Bergeron second round, guy who can play tackle, can play guard, like what's their starting offensive line look like next year? Like what, what how do they shift the pieces around to make that a worthwhile pick? Yeah, that's a really good question because I do think Bergeron, like when you watch him, he probably has some guard flexibility. And like in some ways, he fits this identity here in Washington almost better than any of the top round guys because he does have this kind of guard tackle flexibility. He's a big body, big mover, kind of a run first guy. Um, So I think he could easily play left guard. You know, I don't think that's ideal, but he probably could, especially because you paid Wiley all that money to play tackle. So it's kind of like, I think, I think, I think Wiley's an excellent guard. I would love to see him at guard. I'd love to see Berger on a tackle. But if they feel comfortable with that arrangement, I think you feel good with a guy who can kind of say, we need a spot at left guard. 
He's a big physical son of a gun who plays football with the right type of mindset, who's going to be nasty, and we can insulate him with a run-first approach. So you go Bergeron at left guard, Leno at left tackle for this year, and then maybe hopefully that gives Chris Paul another year. Right. Hopefully Paul's your left guard next year. Bergeron kicks out the left tackle. That's the, yeah. That's, that's kind of what I would plan. say. And that and that's and that you know we we were kind of poo pooing position flexibility, but one of the things about it is it lets you kind of plan for the future a little bit better. You get your best five on the field. So for example, if you were to draft Dewan Jones, right? He can only play tackle probably. So yeah. you're then you're moving Wiley into guard. And if you don't love that arrangement, you're kind of accommodating a rookie player. So here the rookie, a younger player, new to the system, a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more gray matter sponginess up there. Like let him kind of figure that out. I think that is probably the way I would go. And that's why a guy like Paris Johnson of the top guys is interesting or Scaranzi because they have played guard. So again, that's where that position flex is, is valuable for a team like Washington. I'm, I'm curious to your thoughts, Logan, on guys who like kind of like what I brought up about Laramie Tunsil, like kind of getting a guy's feet wet by playing them at guard if they're not necessarily ready to start at left tackle in the NFL. Is that something that maybe you're teaching them bad habits by starting them at guard or teaching them like a different position is only hurting them? Or do you think it's helping them kind of get acclimated to then they'll be ready once they have to step into left tackle? Well, I think it shows you what type of guy you have. And so what I mean by that is obviously the, the line for a guard is different. The speed is different. The anchor is different. And if a guy can play guard in the NFL, it means they're a tough son of a gun, in my opinion, who, who was playing tackle in college. And I think if you've got a tough son of a gun, I feel good about him playing anywhere, right? Because that's one of the things about Anton Harrison. Like, I love Anton Harrison, but he could not play guard in the NFL. He's just not physical enough right now. And so that's where I kind of say a year at guard for him, it would be trial trial by fire, but you're going to get a hard, tough, salty dude out of that. And I, I don't think he's physically capable of doing it. But that's why a guy like Matthew Bergeron, Paris Johnson, up Cody Mock, another guy that I think is really interesting there because he's got that toughness and that mindset to kind of be adaptable. And you are teaching them bad habits, but if you've got that flexibility, like I think about some of the best guard, some of the best tackles I played with, like Trent Williams is a little bit cheating, but also the best guard that I played with was Trent Williams. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he's a freak yeah. and, it, and it helps you see kind of what kind of athlete they are. So I think there's an advantage, but I also think it can be tough and it can burn a guy down if they just physically can't get it done, if that makes sense. Trent Williams hates playing guard. Well, I mean, I would too. It, it's going to cost him financially. So don't play guard, Trent. There was that year. There was that year where they had a billion. I mean, there's so many years where they had a billion injuries, but like that was the talk of like they had Ty and Secchi, and it was like, well, Ty can't play guard. He's too big. Trent's gonna have to play guard. And Trent was basically like, hell no, that six nine dude is gonna get down in that guard stance because I'm not doing that crap anymore. Uh, which you know, I guess it worked out kind of. We used to have Will Montgomery uh, on staff at PFF. Great dude. Okay. Awesome dude. Yeah. He uh, he would tell me stories about. Uh, Trent and he's like he will would be prepping for the guys all week that he was going to go up against would like be having all these notes and Trent wouldn't do a single damn thing and he asked him why one time and he's like I'm gonna make them play my game <laughs> like oh god damn it I wish I had I wish I was a physical enough dude to make them play my game <laughs> so I've told this story in the podcast before but I remember we were in training camp we just came out of a joint practice I want to say with like Houston or New England something like that and I'm on the bus and I'm dying I'm sore I'm hot and Trent's just sitting there and, you know, we're, we're the same draft year. So we're pretty close. And he's talking to me and I was like, man, I'm like really stressed out about tomorrow's practice. And he looked at me, he's like, you know what, man, if football was ever hard for me, I'd probably just retire. And like, that was the end of the conversation. I was like, sick. 
this is this is good this is where we want to be right now every day i'm fighting for my life and it's easy for you so anyway that's an all-time quote <laughs> that is i'm sure so he, fe- he probably he probably probably feels differently now but like the other thing about trent i gotta say this i gotta defend my guy is you know i would study a ton will would study a ton but trent just had like this natural kind of feel for the game like we'd be in there and i'd be lined up next to him be like hey man watch the sam strong safety and i'd look up and i'd be like it is sam strong safety you know and so like even though he didn't study a ton he just like had that in the bag so you know not only was he genetically very gifted but he was intellectually very gifted and that's why you're one of the best tackles in the history of the nfl so you know not a lot of not a lot of those guys in this year's draft but (laughs) when you can get one you should get one yeah or or any other draft he is he's worth one When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's talk quarterbacks. Uh, it's This happened in our mock. It's happened in a lot of other mocks. happened in your mocks. You, I, you had Levis sliding farther than anybody else that I've seen, all the way down to 22. Uh, the Rams trading up to get him and, and end his slide there. Most people kind of have his floor 19 to Tampa. I kind of like your approach, though, what you did with Tampa, of saying, like, yeah, they don't necessarily need to figure out quarterback now. They're just going to rebuild the roster for a couple years um and be bad and that means you get higher draft picks and can better rebuild your roster uh not that they'll be great with will levis but you get the point um so rather start that quarterback contract farther down the line uh how has anthony richardson separated himself from levis and also kind of when you think about levis as the fourth guy now what's his ceiling what's his floor i think it's just landing spot there and that's always with quarterbacks, right? Like, I, I, there's not a lot of people I know who have CJ Stroud QB one, but I think he's going number one overall uh, because just Carolina thinks he fits them better. But uh, and that's what with Indy, I think Indy's you know Chris Ballard is one of if not the most traits driven GM with his draft track record. You know, he's always chasing the highest end athletes possible, and you won't find one higher end than Anthony Richardson. Right? So that, yeah. I think that's like a fit with that. And then with Levis, it's kind of just so many guys or so many teams have got their guy, whether it's Vegas signing Jimmy G, whether it's Atlanta claiming they're in on Desmond Ritter, um, and then Seattle, Detroit just being kind of in a window, right? Like they can win now, those teams. And they have quarterbacks who maybe aren't quote-unquote franchise guys, but but they're close. They're like right on that high, right on that edge of are they franchise guys, are they not? And in the NFC right now, they think they're maybe a Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson away from maybe winning it because how, how weak the conference is. So then after that, it's like Tennessee going to draft them is probably like one of the 
one spots, but I think Tennessee truthfully is going to stink this year. And if they're sick this year, that means they're in next year's quarterback class. So I don't see the desperation for them to go get it. And they just had kind of a developmental project guy in Malik Willis last year. So then it keeps going. And then you're, you got the Texans aren't going to take when they rate took when you got the jets, Patriots, Packers, Washington's like the one where are they? But I think they've said that they don't want to do this again. They don't want to do this quarterback carousel thing again. So then you got really a slide. So, um, I had the Rams trade enough because of obviously the fit there with Liam Cohen, who's now back at Kentucky, but the OC was his OC back in 2021 when he had his best season. Obviously, this probably talked him up to Rams brass. So that, that's that's how I see it, it kind of playing out. No one knows, though. I, I think no one's really tipping their hand at quarterback besides obviously the Panthers because there's no reason not to for them. But uh, very – it will obviously dictate kind of the rest of the first round, how those play out. So Ron Rivera sat down with you guys at the combine and someone said like, Oh, we have a really high draft grade on Sam Howell. And now he has gone and parroted that. He's like, I'd sit down and do these interviews and everyone tells me how much they love Sam Howell too. Uh, but if you, if you take uh, what you thought of Howell last year and kind of a year of progress being in a system or being in the NFL, um, obviously, it'll be a different system under Biennemi, but that that prospect, what Sam Howell will be versus Will Levis, how do you compare those two? Because that's ultimately the question Washington is going to be asking if Levis is on the board. I had Howell's QB1 last year's class. Now, the ultimate PFF board, after I got together with everyone, I seeded to them and put Malik Willis ahead of him. But I thought his tape was awesome. I think his tools are awesome. I just think the offense he was in and sort of uh, – you know, and the fact that it really didn't teach him how to play quarterback and the fact that he's six foot tall, which is still, you know, an issue for a lot of guys in the NFL were the big things holding him back. And, and truthfully, false the fifth, but he really wasn't a, he wasn't a fifth round. I don't care who you were evaluating his tape. He was much better than that. It's just quarterback is kind of a binary thing where some teams will, some teams won't draft one. Uh, and so he falls the end of the pack. I think the tools are there to be, again, like, a high-end NFL starter. His deep ball is as good as I've seen in this year's class or last year's class on tape at North Carolina. That was his bread and butter. And you saw in the, like the start he had at the end of the year was throwing some dimes in there down the football field. Uh, so I just think he was a guy who really needs to get acclimated to the NFL game and glad he got some reps in last year. So I, I would I would not, if I'm you know staring between him and Will Levis, and with Will Levis, you're obviously going to have to, you know, you're kind of, I don't want to say giving up on Sam Howell, but it's, uh, you're you're having, you only get so much practice time to develop two guys. You need both those guys to make, to get serious developmental time in. I just think it's probably, you got to choose one or the other. You can't have two guys in that kind of mold on one roster. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Because, you know, like Will Levis is kind of that bigger, you know, arm strength's probably similar, kind of that, he gets a lot of Josh Allen comparisons, which I hate because it's like Josh <laughs> Allen's is like, he's the outlier, you know, he's the unicorn. Yeah. It's like, so, but I mean, like, is there a world where they take him at 16 and you would be like, I get it. Or is it like, it just doesn't make sense with Sam Hill on the roster. If they, so they, they know how better than I do, right? Like they've seen yeah. him, they know what they got in some way, shape. And I think a lot of the reason he fell last year was, was because of his injuries and because of how he just basically like, 
I heard people like didn't was not good on a whiteboard coming out like flat out didn't know a lot of stuff and obviously some of that's like just what he was asked to do at North Carolina so they know the development he's made over the past you know eight months and if he really hasn't and they do draft a Will Levis that's you know obviously a damning sign for a guy like Sam Howell so I wouldn't hate I, I will never blame a team for taking more shots at quarterback when you don't have a quarterback it's uh it's the most valuable position you're not going to win with you know a below average quarterback in today's NFL just flat out will not win a Super Bowl so if we have that if you don't have an above average one take as many chances as possible so I wouldn't blame them again it's just it would be an indictment of Sam Howell then if they did yeah absolutely um yeah I mean for sure 100 percent. another thing that the Washington commanders need is probably a little bit of linebacker depth this year's linebacker class is unique to say the least right there's kind of like two guys who can come in and play a lot I think right away um, interesting in your mock, you kind of had, I, I think Henley's your number one guy on your 150 board. Jack Campbell goes first and Henley's like your third guy off the board. Can you talk about that position group, why you made that switch from the big board to the, uh, mock draft. And then are, are there some guys later in the draft that you think could fill a need, uh, potentially start for Washington? Yeah. So with this lineback class, it's not good. You, you called the unique, I'd call it bad. <laughs> um, it's, it's just not like so. Uh, Hi Henley and Campbell, though. I think Campbell's your safest linebacker pick on this draft. He, he's very reminiscent of like Logan Wilson coming out as a prospect, in my opinion. I like that uh, comp, uh, yeah. where he's just like he's good at a lot of different things. Is he great at anything? Probably not. Um, but you're getting a good linebacker who's going to finish plays. He's a good tackling. And so if you're the Commanders, and you know you could use some security at that position. You chase the high end of Jamin Davis and it's been a roller coaster so far. You could use a guy next to him that you just feel good about. Uh, so that would be the guy I would put a pin in and be like, that's, you know, one guy I'd really want for them. And especially in the weak lineback class. After at 48, that, would you take him at 48? I'd take him at 48. It's 45 yeah. in the PFF draft board. So I, I'd yeah. take him there for sure. Do you think um, he sneaks into the first round? Sorry to cut you off. Cause I know no. I've seen some mocks where he's like, you know, going to the bills at 23 or something. That would surprise me. Uh, yeah. That would very much surprise me. I just don't think he fits the traits profile of a first-round linebacker. But so he, that, that's him. Henley is probably the best coverage player at the linebacker position this draft. He's just the most refined already. And, and he's a tremendous tackler, too. Uh, super twitched up, dude, but he's 225. And so that's already, you know, he's never going to be a take-on guy. He plays around blocks. He's your weak side linebacker um, in a defense. And you're kind of the guy who you'll kick out over the slot and whatnot. That's that's his role. Um, but I think he's damn good at that. And for you know, being a former quarterback, former wide receiver, like he knows how route concepts get put together and where his eyes need to go for the next thing. So I, that's why I stopped linebacker on the PFF board because I think that's a super valuable skill set. But even he is not the athlete that, say, Trenton Simpson is from Clemson, who's just unbelievable physically. Like his testing is on par with, you know, like a guy like Joey Porter. Like he truthfully – his best position may even be cornerback, like a man system, because he is so gifted athletically. Mm -hmm. um, and then Drew Sanders is kind of your off-ball blitzing type. I, I would not recommend drafting Drew Sanders unless you have a plan to rush the passer with him around 10 times a game, because that's the skill set that he brings to the table that's just unique, and that he's a former edge rusher, really comes downhill with authority and knows how to beat blocks. Is just a guy who, when he's out in space, he still looks kind of like a former edge rusher. So there's, that's kind of the top. That's like 
the four linebackers that'll come off the board somewhere, either maybe sneak in the first round somewhere on day two. I, I would be surprised if we really see anyone else uh, in that mix of a top 75 pick. So the thing with linebacker for Washington that I struggle with is what exactly are they looking for? Because Davis, roller coaster for sure, but that roller coaster finished on a nice climb by the end of last year. Like he really played well at the end of the year and he was doing it at Mike linebacker, calling the signals with the green dot, everything. So are you comfortable with him there moving forward and you're trying to find someone to play next to him? And by the way, they're probably only going to play two most of the time. Like, sure, they might go back to having a, a base defense more this year if they have some guys they feel can fit that Sam spot, but they'll probably just play most of the nickel and Buffalo nickel type of stuff. Or are you looking to kick Jamin back to a weak side player where you can just run and hit uh, and, and getting a guy who can call signals? And I, I just... I, maybe you do that depending on who's available to you. If you really like one of the guys in the draft that fits one of those spots and you kick Jamin and position flex strikes again. But I would think that you would prioritize putting Jamin where you want him because you spent a first round pick on him two years ago. Yeah. The only guy I would say would usurp him as the mic would be Campbell in this class. Everyone else I'd rather have the weak side position. Yeah, I was about to say, because there's some guys later that are kind of these high upside plays on your list. You know, Dorian Williams from Tulsa, um, Overshone from Texas. Um, Marty Mapu, I think, is a safety, but he'll probably yeah. play, I think, probably will linebacker. Like, can you talk a little bit about those guys? Because I think that's kind of where Washington's going to pick. I think in your mock, you did a really good job of kind of finding players that they need and filling, I don't say needs because they did a good job in free agency, but I think more players of higher positional value. And I think they're going to fall, unfortunately, into these kind of guys at linebacker. Can you talk a little about them and what you think about them? And then, because to me, these are all will linebackers, kind of to your point. Yeah, I mean, all of them were sub 230, I believe, at the combine for their pro days. Um, all, all are coverage first, run and hit, not take on players. Now, the interesting one of that group was to me is Dorian Williams, because uh, he's got a unique physical build. Like, he's got some of the so broad you said shoulders. unique, too. You said unique. There's some unique well, stuff there. Yeah, one he, guy. He, he's got, and, like, a 6'10 wingspan. This I know. He's um, And he's fast, too. He plays like a safety kind of, you know. he's Yeah. And I think he turns his hips really well and runs down the field. So, he's, like, a true weak side guy. He's top 100 player on the PFF board. Overshone's a little bit more uh, – just sloppy, I'll say. Yeah, okay. like edge he's... rusher. Like he, like kind of reminds me of like a less good Sanders. You know what I mean? Like kind of yes. more comfortable blitzing yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he just like when he gets going at full speed, those are his best reps. But when he's kind of having to play, you know, kind of in a silo where he's got to just kind of play flat-footed, you see him the wheels turning. He just doesn't know what's going on. So right. he's. Is it interesting though? Athlete, uh, for sure. Uh, the one guy that I would uh, like a lot as like a pure weak side guy who reminds me a lot of Malcolm Rodriguez is Ivan Pace Jr. from Cincinnati. Get uh, out of here! I, I was going to ask you about this specifically, man. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> sell me on this. I need a good pitch. I, I mean, he's fast. I think he went four six one in his pro day, but at the Senior Bowl, he had the fastest GPS time. Of any he's also day. like five six, and he is five <laughs> ten. Um, he's not, you know. Again, he's not a not gonna play man coverage with this guy. He's just he's gonna get How long are his arms? How long are his arms, Mike? I think they were thirty inches on the dot, or maybe a little bit more than that. I thought they, they were, were like forty eight or something like that. No, yeah. no, they, they weren't that. But he's he's got a six foot 
wingspan, which would make okay. him the. I think Rodriguez was even just a little bit longer in terms of his wingspan. So one of the <laughs> lowest, but man, he as a pure run and hit. There's few guys in this draft class. He's a certainly physical dude, um, but he's probably more better for like a pure blitzing scheme, just because he's he's got to be protected in coverage. That guy. And I will say they do a lot of coverage with the linebackers here. Can you talk about Marty? What's his yeah. name? Marty Mapu. Is that right? Because I, I, yeah. when, when I watch his so just film, I like, I love him. Oh, no. Did he really? Yeah. No. That's terrible. He just tore his peck last week. So, yeah, he tore his peck. He was probably fringe top 100 guy prior. Um, yeah. Tore his peck. He played, he played like the overhang role for Sacramento State and some safety. It was not a linebacker, but like physical enough that, you're projecting that linebacker, even though he's, I think, 216, but just real smooth and, and like the change of direction ability that is difficult to coach. And then to me, with size, um, it obviously matters at linebacker, but it's more play style. And that's a lot of positions, right? It's it's how physical do you play? Are you, are you, you could be 240 and be soft as hell uh, in the run game, and you can be 215 like Darius Leonard and still be an impact player in the run game. So, um, to me, he, he trends more towards the latter, where he, he comes and wants to hit guys. And so, again, he, there's things you still can't do at that size, but very intrigued by him again, though. The torn pack is probably going to knock him pretty far down for sure. because yeah. that, that basically takes him out. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day your weekly source for all things Commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, tight end and running back, super interesting classes. Um, and the commanders keep getting mentioned at both positions because they just have a bunch of interesting guys at tight end and also Logan Thomas, uh, who's interesting, obviously, from an injury recovery standpoint. Like, is he still the guy they signed a couple years ago that's good? Or is he more of the, the decline player that we saw last year coming off the ACL? Then they got all these traits guys. Running back's obvious because they've only really got two top guys. They've got a couple other guys, later round picks, Jared Patterson types. Uh, but this is a super deep class at both positions. Uh, let's start at running back. Like after Bijan, who is going to go in the first round somewhere because he's arguably the best player in, in the entire class. Just take the positional value out of it. Uh, top five for sure. Um, how long until the next guy goes and how deep is that next tier? It's deep, man. This running back class is awesome. Uh, I think Gibbs comes off the board somewhere top of the second, uh, the Alabama running back. And then you'll just see like a chain probably comes to Texas A&M back probably comes off somewhere in the second, early third. I think Charbonnet is probably a third uh, UCLA running back. I think 
I think Bigsby's probably going somewhere in that range. The Auburn running back, Tulane running back, Tasha Spears, somewhere like ended second round, top of third round. Like there's a ton of talent. Uh, I think I had 13 guys in this class who would have been top five guys in last year's draft oh, wow. class. It's just it's very deep, and so the most this is the most top hundred players I've had on a PFF draft board running back. I'm looking right now, eight top hundred guys, and we hate running backs here. So <laughs> that's that's a wild number. Uh, I think there was like three last year. So it, it's a super deep class, and I think the one thing Washington's missing is like they have two big dudes. Like maybe Antonio Gibson doesn't play big. But he's still like what two twenty eight, two thirty. Like they have big, big ass running backs. They don't have one dynamic kind of jitterbug. But this class is chock full of them. Uh, so the guys in that mold that I kind of just said, Gibbs is in that mold. I think A Chain's in that mold. And Tajay Spears from Tulane's in that mold. Even Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State's an intriguing guy in that mold. Uh, Zach Evans from Ole Miss is an intriguing guy in that mold. There, there's just so many guys that. I think one of those that I just mentioned, if they're on the board in the fourth or somewhere in day three, you almost have to pull the trigger just to add that to your offense to give you one, uh, you know, one more chess piece in your arsenal. Yeah. And they need that, that like scat back type, you know, obviously McKinnon's still floating out there. I think at this point in free agency, who's got the familiarity with, with the enemy system, but uh, getting a young guy is, would would obviously be great, and then tight end. I mean, Logan, what you have? What eleven guys? Did you said or yeah, like starting that, starting grades on? Yeah, they, they could. I mean, it depends on the the kind of system and like where they're gonna be. But like you know, I, like to me, a starting caliber tight end is like a blocking Y, and I know that's like the second guy on your depth chart. But like if he's got that skill set, like he's gonna play minutes for your team. So eleven's probably like I think probably generous. But like there's some dudes that are big, strong, physical guys. And so when I was looking at your list, actually, I was surprised to see I don't, not a ton of guys, not a ton of tight ends in that top 150. I think it was eight, maybe six, if I remember correctly. I don't have it right in front of me, but, um, you Nine know. Nine top 150. Oh, well, maybe I miscounted then. That's on me. Maybe Logan's just bad at math. That's one on, right that's at, on one, one at 150. So. Yeah. Okay. But I, I also, not to – not to start a fight here, but I don't really value the the Y blocking tight end. <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't value it, but like teams need it, right? So it's like yeah. it's kind of one of those positions where it's like John Bates, for example, like in the fourth, fifth round, like he's playing sixty percent of the snaps for Washington, right? And so you want a guy who's can pass protect, can run block, and so obviously you're in the one fifty stuff. You're looking for those dynamic kind of game changing players. One hundred percent agree with that. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that there are guys that kind of fit your flavor of your team and can fit needs is what I'm saying. Yes. But it's the class is sick and not just like deep. I think there's more top end talent this year's class than any since probably 2018. Uh, and even I like the top of this better than probably even 2018. Oh, really? So you, uh, one of the things about your 150 is you had, I think Darnell Wright, like in this, I don't want to, it's not in front of me, like in the 68. 60, yeah, or number and so I know a lot of people, I, I don't disagree with that necessarily, but can you explain why that is and why do you have the other two guys above him? And um, Sam Laporta, I think, was also kind of in that mix as a guy that was above him. I like his film a lot more than Darnell Wright's, but can you give us a little uh, Darnell Washington. Just Darnell Washington, clarity. sorry. Yep, sorry. <laughs> um, so it, it, it comes down to, you know, skill set, right? I, Darnell Washington, at what he does, you, you probably won't find a better player in that mold right he's he is as good of and i don't think he's like super polished as a run blocker but he's just he's six seven two seventy with like a seven foot 
wingspan where it doesn't take much, you know, it doesn't take much polish for that guy to make an impact. And you see him on the move, like hawk down DBs. And and that's where his best blocks are, truthfully, is when he could just get a hand on a safety or a corner. Those guys crumple like they do against offensive linemen. So I think that's where he's really at his best. But he's just, he's not a separator and not a, and for as big a wingspan as he has, he's not really a go up and get it type of tight end. And I think he had like a 29 inch vertical at the time. Like he's just, he is kind of a ground player. He is a guy who is, you know, he can run your, you know, over seams, flats, do that, and then make a little after the catch. But if I have, you know, a safety on him and man coverage, I'm looking elsewhere because I don't think he's going to get, he's not going to get off man coverage. He's not going to separate. There's a reason why all his highlights are him just in space, jumping over dudes and not uh, running routes the way Kincaid and Mayer's highlights are. So that that's the big thing with me is that just, do I ever see him catching more than, you know, 50 balls and 700 yards in a season? Sure. I, I'd be floored if he did. Whereas Kincaid, yes, Michael Mayer, hundred percent, Sam Laporta, hundred percent, Luke Musgrave, maybe not, but he's unique in the speed that he brings to the table as a vertical threat that I'll, I'll take that first. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Musgrave as well. Cause he's, he's an athletic freak for his size. And again, those, those traits are things that get you excited. Another guy that I wanted to just bring up, cause I think it's Washington's also looking for kind of a rotational edge rusher and a guy that I like a lot in this class um, is Keon white out of Georgia tech, right? You got him sliding a little bit on your board. Um, talk about that a little bit. I heard on uh, the big PFF show, you mentioned that he ran a slow 40. If I know if it's the same 40 that Cam Jordan ran, like how do you kind of come, you know what I'm saying? He's not an elite athlete, yeah. but he's a big, strong, physical dude that I think fits this system here in Washington really well. So again, I'm probably valuing him more because of the system fit, but go ahead. Yeah, so he's somewhat new to the position. He started at tight right. end. Uh, I knew I liked like him. I think it's four years. I think it's four <laughs> years as a defensive end at this point, but he's 6'5", 281, 34 inch arms. Like that, that's, he, he can do a lot of different things in your defense because he is athletic enough to line up out wide and be, you know, a pure wide nine bull rusher, but then he can go up and go head to head with an offensive tackle. And there's that personal aspect to him. Um, but just, he, he looks on tape, at least to me, just like he, he you don't see that athleticism show up every snap like he, he's super high-end athlete straight line speed guy he can hawk down people in space but you don't see him getting off the line like suddenly and getting on to dudes and then playing you know just like everything is a little lethargic deliberate without urgency yeah there you go deliberate great work um Thank so you. that's just how i see him uh, as a prospect that a little bit more um, developmental is that fair to say yes Mm-hmm. That definitely more in that realm. And that's why, you know. Because he does flash. He does have these moments where he flashes. He'll make a tremendous play. He'll blow up a guard. But you're right. The consistency down to down isn't necessarily yeah. there. And if you're a developmental guy, well, you better be, you know, four at that size. You better be running a four, six, something, four, seven. You mm-hmm. know, you better. So his, his 10 split was a one, six, nine. Oh. Four, seven, nine. Like, you better yeah. have a little bit more than that for me to go to bat high for a developmental guy in that moment, sure. right? You better be damn good as an athlete. And then testing-wise, he just flat-out wasn't, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so in addition to Keon White, kind of in that third, fourth-round range, I know we did this last time, and you were kind of still finishing your evaluations. Are there guys in there that you like for Washington, kind of guys that jump off the tape a little bit, you say, wow? I like Isaiah McGuire a lot. He's a Missouri The Missouri kid? Yes. All right. Talk about him. Let's hear it. 
Oh yeah, I, that that reaction you said told me you did. Well, no, because I because I've heard you mention. So I, I consume a lot of PFF's content. I okay. consume a lot of your content. I've heard you talk about him. I just haven't got to him yet. So gotcha. if you're gonna pitch me on a guy that I haven't seen, what's okay. the pitch? Is the question. My pitch is he's bendy. Um, mm. I think that's a unique flexibility is a great trait to have on the edge in that he can not only you know from a standstill get like his hands above his eyes and really you know lift up an offensive tackle but then once he gets around the edge or gets to the edge of an offensive tackle like he's underneath them and getting back to the quarterback for you know a guy in the 270 sort of range mm. of power defensive ends which that just gives you a high floor in my opinion and so he's not going to go highly because i don't think he's necessarily you know your explosive um athlete that you project to be you know 10 sack plus guy but if you're looking if you're washington and you want that third guy to just be sound in a lot of different you want him to be good in the run game you want him to be able to at least you know push the pocket and i think he can do both those things nice all right, Mike, what's your uh, what's your life like over the next three weeks? We're taping this on Thursday, April 6th, meaning you got exactly three weeks to the draft. Well, so truthfully, March is usually the worst for me because that's when I'm doing guide. That's when I'm grinding tape all the time and have to react to the combine and you still have a lot of hits. Now it's just I'm doing a ton of podcasts, a ton of writing, which is kind of like icing on the cake. I don't need to uh, necessarily grind. So it, this is the fun part for me. And then May is the really fun part. But this, this part, this time of year, is just like I get to enjoy uh, and see where these guys end up. They don't make you do like a 2024 list they the totally day do. after. And, and do they? I actually, I actually enjoy that more. Like it's not a grind for me because I get to watch guys and just not care. Like I, I get to watch them for pure fun. I don't have to take notes and I don't have to be typing into my Google Sheet all the stuff that I want to say about them. It's just, I'm like, hey, he's good. Let's put him in. This guy's good. This guy's not good. Let's put him in. Like, it's just, I get to just be yes or no on guys, putting him in my first round mock for next year. Do you have a okay. second round I actually need to go back and look at, I need to go back and look at last year's to see how many. That'd be a fun exercise. Right. That'd be I good. Go do, it's probably not have, a lot. Is this the last mock draft you do or you will you do one more? I do one more first round day before the draft. So okay. That's it. No seven rounds. I don't round go to seven either, rounds. Huh? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a psychopath. I, I, they've asked me. <laughs> And I told them, I'm just, no, like, I, I don't have too much too many picks. Too it's many just, picks. it's not worth it. Did you say you, what would be even more fun, by the way, your 2024, or like looking back at last year's is like, look back at yours, look back at like McShay's, see who else did one and just give, the take most. notes. Yeah. The, the right draft mock year out, uh, mock wars. That's what we're here for. We're here for the drama. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking right now. Oh no. I had some, some awful picks. <laughs> We're not oh. even going to talk about it. <laughs> what's the worst well, one? What's want... the what's the worst one? Let's just what's the worst one on there? Um, we had Arik Gilbert going top ten. Whoa, guy! High on I him last he, year. I, well, I assumed he would get his head on straight, which never ended up happening. Obviously, didn't it happen. So turned out he showed up three hundred pounds to camp, and then that was that. Dude, but you know it's that's why it's a fun that's why it's a fun exercise. It's uh it's why you gotta you gotta watch the tape and have it all in because uh, guys guys move around. Uh, you can read all of Mike's stuff uh, at Pro Football Focus. Obviously, subscribe to their podcast as well. They do a bunch of great YouTube content, uh, so make sure you subscribe to their YouTube page, which we'll link in the description, uh, both on the podcast and on YouTube. Mike, this was great, man. Uh, hope maybe we'll talk to you after the draft. Uh, we'll talk to you during May fun time. 
For sure, fellas. Be happy to do it. 